Genesis and Matthew. So you can get your Bibles ahead of it. Uh, if you're unaware, we sing these songs. The last song we sang was Psalm 36. Sometimes we're singing the Bible and we're not, we don't know it. Psalm 36, your mercy, verses 5 and 6 and 7. I find myself wanting to look those up as we're singing them. In Genesis chapter 14, this is heading into the receiving of tithes and offerings this morning. <clears throat> and I uh, appreciate Pastor Rob giving me the opportunity the last few weeks to talk about this. Personally, I found that tithing pins me and holds me to God. It's, a, it's part of a Christian discipline for me that became fundamental and rudimentary and basic uh, from the very beginning uh, when I first heard about giving to the Lord a tenth of, of my income. And there's the debate on gross or net and all that that's come after the years. But uh, whatever it comes down to, <clears throat> it does come down to being a Christian discipline of worship to God that is that has tremendous benefits all the way around. It's kind of like when you get your diet right and you eat correctly. Uh, the health benefits become multiplied to you and you don't even realize it's happening. Some people say, well, you know, what's the point of taking, say, like a multivitamin or minerals and supplements? And if you've taken them for, say, six months to a year, uh, the only way to prove that that I've found is to just quit doing it for about two weeks. And you find out how dependent your body is and how strength, how much strength is being supplied to you that you don't even notice and feel until you take it away. And so I'm, I'm kind of applying that illustration here to tithing and giving as well. But uh, in, the, in the scriptures this morning, because we don't just teach our feelings or our thoughts, we kind of come from the Bible, right? I'm glad a few of you agree. Uh, there's a big fight in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, four kings on five. In verse 9 it says at the end there, four kings against five. Big, big fight. Uh, there's a rebellion going on. But I just want to look at the results with you for a moment. It says uh, they came down and, and had this war and and in verse 11 it says, They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went their way. <clears throat> Excuse me. They also took Lot, Abram's, brother, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, the brother of Ader. And they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Dan's being a city, not a man. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of kings after his return from the defeat of Kedolaomar and the kings who were with him. So, abbreviated version, had a war. They took Lot and all of his stuff and his family and his things and his people. Abram comes in, rescues him, brings him back with all the goods, nothing missing. And verse 18 says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. This is a significant piece. Of course, you could do a whole study on Melchizedek and end up in Hebrews talking about Jesus. Nonetheless, the priest is on the scene. The man that represents God to men 
and men to God. That's the priest's role. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, meaning Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Tithe is the word for tenth, right? One tenth. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. That I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. And he lets them, let them take their portion. I've made a vow to God. I've raised my hand in witness to God. I will take nothing that belongs to you as the priest, the representative of God, the Most High God. I won't take even a, a we would interpret this as a shoestring, a sandal strap. I won't take that which belongs to God and to the priesthood. I've raised my hand. And he gave him a tithe. Now, my singular point right now is this. Abram predates the law. This gesture of tithing, this offering of a tenth of everything he had, came before there was ever a law of Moses. So the question of is tithing under the law and should we still keep it or not is easily answered. It predates any commandment. I see it kind of like a bell curve in my mind where it starts out a certain way and then it curves up and then it comes back down. Over here we've got Abram out of the depth of his heart and his love for God and his commitment to the Lord, the possessor of heaven and earth who owns everything anyway, says, out of the goodness of my spirit, when God gives me victory, I give 10% back to him. Then the law comes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament turn with me now to Matthew 23. After the law comes, men love the law. We love the law because it gives us some kind of a basis of of deciding whether we're good or evil. If I can keep the commandments, then I'm good. If I fail them, then I'm evil. Uh, Give me something to measure up to. Give me a list to conquer. And and, uh, then I feel better about myself. When truly what the Bible teaches is that we're totally evil. Our best righteousness is like filthy rags. We really can't do any of it very well. We fail all the time. We need the grace of God and the mercy of God. And I believe Abram is over here, even before he's Abraham, he's Abram. He's over here operating in mercy and grace and love for God and surrendering a tent out of his heart, out of his love. The law comes and we start mandating and you have to give a tenth and everybody's got to give a tenth and this law thing comes and settles over the top of us and, and if you don't give a tenth then you're condemned and right? And men love to live under that because it it supremely edifies us as, as, the, as the doers and the beers. But then Jesus comes in here in Matthew 23. And I'll just pick it up at verse 23. Another one of those easy to remember ones. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith. We were just singing about these things, weren't we? These you ought to have done 
without leaving the others undone. Out of the goodness of grace, mercy, and love and relationship comes the tithe. Then it's solidified in law, and that law sets up over supremely over men and, and drives them by condemnation and pushing and overlording and condemnation. And then Jesus comes and says, you know, you're missing the weightier measures of the law here. You get out your little mints and your little basically dust particles, and you make sure to get a tenth over there so you can fulfill your law. Jesus says, you're missing the point. Where's justice and mercy and love? Where's the grace again? Where's this responsiveness to God that should be coming from your life, not out of some I got to do it relationship? And so it follows this curve for me. And Jesus tries to bring it back to the reality of you ought to do all those other things out of the goodness of your heart. And don't leave. I think it's significant. And theologians would say this. Those who study the Bible would say it's very important. And significant that Jesus said, you should do all these things and not leave the tithe undone. He reaches all the way back to the beginning and he pulls it all together. And the study of tithing runs all through the Bible. He says, you should do these things and not leave tithing undone. Because it brings us back to that beginning point where we say, he is owner of everything. He's Lord of all. It's all his. And I'm a steward of his grace and his mercy. And when he gives me, in our economy, when he gives me dollars, I just take a tenth out and I say, this belongs to you. And it ties me to him in relationship. It ties me to him in love. It's not a commandment that I have to keep out of some kind of condemnation and some law-driven relationship. It's something I do because I love him. And we can always end up in Matthew chapter or Malachi chapter 3. Where he calls for repentance from his people, says, you've robbed me. They say, where have we robbed you? Well, you robbed me of my tithe. You need to repent. And you need to bring all the tithe into the storehouse so that there can be meat in my house, God says. And then prove me with this. Malachi 3.10. Prove this in me. Prove me as God with this in our relationship. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you don't even have room to receive. Some people say it's, it's one of the only places in the Bible where God says, prove me. Put me to the test. So I love putting God to the test because I've learned you cannot outgive him. You just can't outgive him. I mean, try it sometime. Say, God, I'm going to give you everything and see if he doesn't take care of everything in your life. Remember the rich young ruler who came? Talked about keeping the commandments. And what do I do to, what do I do to prove God, I love him. He says, well, keep these commandments. How do you see it? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay. Well, you just lack one thing. You've done it all just perfectly up here on top of the bell curve. You're doing great. You just lack one thing. What's that? Give me the one thing, and I'll do it. He says, sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And it says that the guy went away sad because he owned so much stuff. And he missed it. He missed it. We get a little threatened. Oh, man, Scott, going to ask me to do that? Do I have to sell everything? Well, if you're the rich young ruler, maybe you need to because your trust's in the wrong place. Jesus said, here's the point of it. I can't give you another law to keep that will make our relationship better. I need to strip you of your pride and then bring you back into relationship with me. 
If we could live in relationship, we could conquer anything. God before us, who can be against us? When you bring and you set aside your tithe, you write your check, you put your cash in an envelope, you bring it to the priest of God or the house of God over which God has put his name and said, this is where you do it. He takes up your cause. He stands with you and next to you in your battles. He decides to make and be your provision in life. And I know all through this room I see heads shaking. Yes, thank you very much. It's very encouraging. But all I hear you saying silently is, I know that's true. God has proven himself to me. So it's not a hard thing to tithe. If you haven't ever done it, it's hard. You say, oh, golly, you know, I'm just going to carve out and give it. Do it by faith. Go by faith. Trust God. Believe God. And it's amazing how quickly he can take 90% of what you have left and stretch it to 110. It is amazing. And we can take testimony after testimony of his provision. It would sound like David. I was young, now I'm old, and I can tell you I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. It's true. Amen? Oh, thanks for saying amen. The pressure's off. <laughs> Let's pray and uh, as the guys come and receive what you've made ready for the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for tying this new principle into our heart this morning. Thank you for freeing us from a law-driven mentality of trying to be equal to a task and releasing us to the freedom of just loving you, trusting you, and saying, here's the tenth because I I love you. Here's the tenth because I, I don't owe you. I just love you and I worship you and I know that you'll take care of me. Tie our hearts, tie our savings, tie our IRAs, tie our keos, our, our, our checkbooks, tie it all, Lord behind our heart and let our heart be out in front as we motivate ourselves by loving you let these things follow Lord it all belongs to you anyway but as we give this morning our tithe our offering we pray that your kingdom would be blessed that you would be pleased that it would be of worship to you even more than the songs we sing and the prayers we pray and Lord we trust you to take care of us and our congregation together as a family and a community who has desired to be together and serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So feel free to just put an extra zero on the end of that check you're writing. God bless you. Pastor, thank you. There's one more announcement that I wanted to talk about briefly before we get into the Word this morning, and that's that we're going to celebrate. Who likes to celebrate? Who likes to party? Shirley likes to party. In fact, that's why we put her in charge of this party. Mark your calendars. July 22nd at 4 p.m. We're going to celebrate and honor the ministry of Pastor Jeff Tunnell. You know, know, Pastor Jeff got saved in 1971 and uh, through a series of uh, things happening. And I even found this little little 
tidbit of information. He was in an accident, in a, in a pretty bad car accident, right on Bartlett Avenue and Badger, Bartlett and ba Beaver, Be Bartlett and Beaver, and um, Bartlett and Beaver, and uh, he ended up in a back brace, had back surgery over that, and um, while he was in that that state, he was, uh, you know, you know, his testimony, he was doing doing drugs and not necessarily looking for for God, he was looking for truth. And somebody came up and witnessed to him, and he got saved. And, and shortly after he got saved, he found himself at Big Bear Christian Center. Now, Big Bear Christian Center was located at the corner of Bartlett and Beaver, right across the street from the Contel building, way back in the, there's the, the house is still there. In fact, I attended their uh, Cub Scouts, so I go back, way back with Christian Center, all the way when they were meeting there. But in the pictures of his accident that he looked at later on, he could see the sign of Christian Center in the background. And, uh, you know, that was just a sign, I think, that he would be whew, ah, such an uh, amazing part of Christian Center. That was in the early 70s. They moved out here in the, in the early 80s um, and to this building through some, some neat things happening. Pastor Jeff became pastor, senior pastor in 1983, 4, about 1984, and, uh, and has served faithfully in the body here and will continue to serve until... God takes him home or takes him away somewhere else. He is not going anywhere. Um, but we're going to celebrate and honor that which he's, he's done and, and as our senior pastor. So mark the calendar. You know, if you've got something else going on that day, cancel it. July 22nd, Sunday, 4 p.m. It's going to be held at Community Church by the Lake. We're going to celebrate big. It's going to be a great time. Um, and so we really want, want you to come out. You, you do have to, and there will be invitations being sent out this week about this, but you'll have to uh, RSVP because we're expecting hundreds of people. Um, you know, I, I believe hundreds of people will come and uh, thousands, thousands. <laughs> the, the evangelist in me is coming. <laughs> 10,000 people will be crammed into the community gym. Um, so, so do mark your day. We're going to celebrate and um, so you'll get more information as, go, as time goes on. And if you are in our database, you will be getting a, an invitation. If you haven't been here long enough, haven't filled out a, a visitor's card, or haven't given financially, you may not get one. So the way to get one today is to give financially, and we'll have your name and address. <laughs> Just add that. No. So um, anyways... So, again, mark your day. I'm excited about that. I, who's ready for the Word of the Lord this morning? Mark 16:15. I think some could quote that in here. Some of us are afraid to quote that in here. We know what it says. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. That was the last thing Jesus told His disciples before He ascended. The very last thing he told us, go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. And then he goes to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and it's done. He sends the Holy Spirit to us to help us in that task. Do you think it might be important? The very last thing somebody says. We have to hold on to that. We know, all of us though in this room, know that we're supposed to do evangelism, right? You know, if, if you've been in the church any length of time, you've heard the messages and, and you go and do evangelism. That's not what I want to talk about this morning. 
is doing evangelism. I want to start the series that we're going to, we're, we're, we're rounding the corner. We're just, we're almost done with this big series we've been having. I want to spend some time, though, looking at a couple of different topics over the next few weeks. We understand the, the, the go and do. And that's been really taught so poorly and wrongly at times. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about things like how to share your faith. Actually, how to share your faith. When to share your faith. With whom should I share my faith? But this morning, I want to take a different, a different avenue, and we want to pray God. As we go into the Word this morning, we pray your blessing upon it. Lord, I pray that you would, even as I would share, that again, you would reinforce this in my own heart and life. And that you would help each person in here see the reason that we are to go into the world and share. That we're called to do the work of an evangelist, to share the good news, the gospel with those who don't know you. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. This message this morning is titled Evangelism, the Heart of the Father. The Heart of the Father. God reveals His character to us as he makes himself known throughout the scripture. As you read the as you read the Bible, you begin to see the character and the nature and the things that are on God's heart. But you can't learn about someone's true character from one isolated event. If you've ever met somebody or, or heard one story about them, you don't understand somebody's real nature, their character from just one or even two or three isolated, disconnected events. But the events of somebody's lives put together weave a picture a meta-narrative, a, a grand scheme, a, a narration of the whole life of their character, of somebody's heart as you put these pieces together. And so what do the Scriptures teach about God's character and about His heart? Well, if you, look at, if, as, if you read the Bible and just read a few instances, you find out that God is a God of war. You could just pick this up and say, wow, God is an angry, mean Warring God. Deuteronomy 7.16 You must destroy all the people the Lord your God gives over you. Do not look on them with pity. He's a God of war. He's a God of anger. Deuteronomy 9.13 And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and they're a stiff-necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. God, if you read a Scripture, is an angry, warring God. If you read a few places, you'll find that God is a God of rules. There are over 600 laws for us to keep. 600 rules in the Bible. God is a God of rules if you read just a few portions of Scripture. But if you go to the beginning, you see a different picture. You see a different picture. Is really God a warmonger, an angry warmonger. When you go to the beginning, God creates everything. And He says, it's good. He creates the world and the skies, the universe and people. And He says, it's good. Who really cares if anything is good if you're an angry, warring, authoritarian Rule monger. Is that what comes out of the heart and the mouth of somebody who is warring and angry? See, God, people look through the Bible and they see these things of God and say, oh, God is just that. And God is this. And But what does the whole Bible teach us about the heart of God? 
created everything and says, oh, it's good. The very first thing is He created the world. He created man. He created Adam and Eve and He had relationship with them. He walked in the cool of the day with man. He wanted to have relationship with Him from the very beginning because it was good. And we see in the book of Genesis that immediately doesn't take us long to figure things out. We want to sin. You know, it just doesn't take anybody very long to figure out, give me an opportunity and I'm going to sin. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And the moment that they sinned, everything changed. God created man for relationship. He created us to, to walk with Him and to know Him intimately and personally. And what was the very first question that God asks? Where are you? Where are you? Man sinned, broke that relationship with God, and God says, where are you? God knew full well where they were. He wasn't asking physically, hey, I can't see you. Come out, come out from wherever you are. But He needed to know where they were spiritually. Where are you? And it was a rhetorical question. It was a question so that they would understand that they were now separated from God and lost. God created everything. It was good. He wanted to have relationship with His people. And we blew it. And they separated ourselves from God. And God says, where are you now? Your sin has separated you from Me. Where are you? Jesus asked other questions to show the heart of the Father also. Teaching through, through questions. and We see the heart of God looking for His people looking to be in restored relationship with His people. I think of the book of Luke, chapter 15. Jesus is teaching, and He's being he's really being accused of spending time with bad people. You know, it says in verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Him to hear Him, and the Pharisees and scribes Complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus goes on and begins to tell three parables. And He tells three different stories about a lost coin, about a lost sheep, and about a lost son. And how in each one that there was joy when the lost item was brought back. When the lost thing was found to Him. As we begin to read the meta-narrative of the Bible, as we look through the whole Scriptures, you see the heart of God woven from beginning to end that God wants those lost people, the lost things, restored to Him. Adam, where are you? We're not in fellowship anymore. Those items that were lost, the owner rejoices greatly when they're found. What is the heart of God? The heart of God is to see those that don't know Him, that have been ousted from this presence, out of fellowship with Him because they're unsaved, to be restored to Him. He doesn't just like Christians. Let that sink in for a second. God doesn't just like Christians. We tend to think that we're just, you know, it's all that, who cares about the other? God loves the world. And after this, this time that the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, in verse 
in chapter 19 of Luke, Jesus sums it up. And He says, The Son of Man, Luke 19.10, came to seek and to save that which was lost. When you have a statement like that, that's like a mission statement. The Son of Man came to fill in the blank. What did He come to do? That's His mission. Seek and to save that which was lost. The heart of the Father is to restore people, to seek and to save those that are separated from Him. That's the purpose that Jesus came for. Because He had compassion. He had compassion on the lost. He knew that He knows their situation and He knows where they're headed and He wants to have relationship. He wants to walk with them and know them and He wants them to know Him, to be saved from their sin and actually have right relationship. No, God comes looking for us. We read in these the parables of the coin and the sheep that they go and they look hard for their items that are lost. They leave the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep so that he may be found again. See, God created all of us, which means we're all His. But some of us, some of His people are still lost. And He spends His life desiring that they would be found. That's the heart of the Father. He wants to get back into relationship with us. He seeks after us. He actually seeks after not, and again, not just us as Christians, us as people. He seeks after people, even though we were the ones who broke relationship through sin. He says, I'm going to go past that because my sacrifice is bigger than that. And after He finds us, He calls us to imitate His heart. He seeks us because He loves us and He asks us to imitate His own heart so that we too might seek after others. The heart of the Father is for the lost. The Bible says that we love because He first loved us. We should seek out the sinners. We should seek out the lost and help them find Jesus because Jesus first sought us. If you're a believer this morning, sitting in this room and you've been saved by grace, then we should be compelled and we'll get into that too. Do the same and help others to find that same grace. I think that one of the things that happens is there's something in us that makes us desire to see people brought into righteousness, but if we don't focus that into the lost... We end up just nitpicking other Christians. Trying to make them better. Rather than going to the lost and helping them to be best. To be saved. You know, God wants relationship with His creation, not just the saved. This has been ringing in my heart this, this week, thinking about that. God wants relationship with everyone. And we, we have a tendency to really keep this to ourselves and come to church and serve God and worship Him like He's just saying, oh, I can't wait to just gather all my people together because, you know, I really don't like the world either. You know, we run away from the world and go, ah, let's get together. But God loves the world. He loves the unsaved and the saved both. He wants relationship. And today he asks the unbeliever the question, where are you? And he, and he wants to ask that question through us. Where are you? To those who don't know Christ, where are you? 
The answer, we know the answer. The answer is they're, they're separated from God. We also see the heart of the Father in 2 Corinthians 5 in the, in the whole passage there, 12 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, you can go there. We're not going to read the, the passage. But we see the heart of the Father displayed there. God gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us a ministry that would be reconciling unbelievers with Himself. You know, hopefully all of you, but at least some of you, reconcile your bank statements each month or every year or so. You know, for those of you who don't do often, you know, you, 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 every once you just get to, you know, every six months, you go, I should probably see where I'm at. And for some of you, it's like a windfall. You know, you go, Whoo, I got more money than I thought. And others of you go, that's why I'm bouncing so many checks. <laughs> you know, when you reconcile a statement, what you're doing is you're, you're getting what your information is and making it agree with the bank's information. That's all reconciling means. It makes, means to bring into agreement. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to help reconcile unbelievers to God. And that, that means to help take their information that they think they have and hold it up to God and say, we need to make this information match. Well, in this situation, God is always right. You know, there's been times maybe in your bank statement that you've had an error or something and, and went to the bank and said, hey, your, your figures are wrong. And the bank went, wow, you're right. That doesn't happen very often. It actually happened to me this last year. It was really good because it was like a $1,300 mistake. And, and, uh, and I was like, and it wasn't good. It was my, my, I started bouncing checks and I, I, I looked at my thing and I went to the bank and I said, I think there was an error. And the error was that they deposited a check into somebody else's account instead of my own. And so that was, that was, I'm glad I reconciled. You know, it was one time I was right, the bank was wrong. We all know that most of the time the bank's right. God is always right. He's the biggest bank. When we go to reconcile unbelievers, we help them to see their information, their life, and say, let's compare it to what God says. And God says that without you, without God, they're lost. And we have this ministry. But why do we have it? Because God's heart is to bring people to himself. God's heart is not to destroy people. It's to win people to himself. God is not an angry, warring dictator. People go read, they read the Old Testament, they go, look at him, look. But look at what his whole, the thread of the Bible. He sacrificed, he loves everyone. And he sent us to be his ambassadors because he's wanting to draw the lost back to himself. So we see the heart of the Father as we read the Bible. And you have to study and look at the whole thing to understand the heart of God is to bring the lost. He would even welcome in strange nations if they would come in and become part and really fulfill everything and serve God fully. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God that wants to see the unbelievers come to Him. We also see the heart of the Father through His sacrificial heart. 
You want to know what the heart of the Father is? You see what He sacrificed for. John 3.16 really sums it up. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The heart of the Father is expressed in His love. He loved the world so much that He sacrificed His Son. The heart of the Father is summed up in the sacrifice that God was willing to make. Willing to give everything because He loved the world. This week in your life groups, that's one of the topics and questions to talk about is who's in the world? What does the world mean? Again, He's not talking just... We go, you know, God so loved the world, He loved me and He saved me, but He loves the world. He loves the unsaved and He gave His Son as a sacrifice. In Matthew 27, we see Jesus' prayer, His crying out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus sacrificed His life. He sacrificed feeling the torment and the pain that He went through on the cross for us. Because He loved the world. You can see the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, as He even had to cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? God hadn't forsaken Him, but the weight of sin and the, the, the pain was so on Him, He couldn't even feel God any longer. These words reflect God's willingness to go to great lengths to win back a lost people. And He knew what it was going to be like. You know, we do things sometimes, and how many times have you volunteered to go do a job or do something for somebody and afterwards going, man, if I knew what I was getting into, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I, I've said that, you know, more time, you know, I wish I was, my heart was better, but there's been times I've showed up at a great heart, I want to volunteer, and then you get there and, and it, you just go, man, if I would have known, I wouldn't have said yes. It goes along with that thing, you know, we all want to think of ourselves as servants until somebody treats us like one. <laughs> but Jesus knew what he was getting into. Jesus knew what he was getting into and willingly went to the cross willingly sacrificed. You can see the heart of the Father through the willingness to sacrifice. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid upon Him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us. He was willing to go there for my sin and for your sin to sacrifice and to go through the horrid death and punishment willingly, knowingly. His heart is for His people. We're His sheep. I believe one of the reasons that God calls us sheep is because sheep are dumb. And they need a shepherd. And yet He loves us. Dumb, hairy sheep. And he's willing to have the, our iniquity put upon him. Jesus said, the Bible says that he who know, knew no sin would become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him sacrificed Himself so that we might become 
His righteousness. We needed to have a sacrifice so that we could be brought into right relationship with Him. And He loved us so much that He sacrificed it all. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's just wild. Have you ever been falsely accused? And the indignation that rises up in that? And how you work to prove that it's not you? Jesus was not a sinner and yet suffered as one. So that we would have right relationship with Him. Can you not see the heart of the Father is to reconcile the whole world to Himself? His heart motivates an incarnational ministry. You know, Jesus left His comfort zone. Jesus left His comfort zone, His, his comforts so that He could serve through His death on the cross. And we in turn need to leave ours. We need to leave ours and be willing to leave ours to get the message of Christ to those who need to hear it. We're going to spend the next three or four weeks talking about evangelism and understanding the heart of the Father and the need for the lost to seek Jesus and to know Him. The sacrificial heart should motivate us in our ministry, in our life, to do the same for the world that Christ did for us. We need to get the message of Christ's love out. You know, it's God's sacrificial heart reproduced in us. It's God's love and His willingness to sacrifice Himself in us that, that causes a, somebody to leave their profession, a doctor to leave their lucrative career and move to the mission field and serve the poor and the needy for the rest of their life. It was that sacrifice that, that causes people like Nancy, who was a teacher in the States, to move down to Guatemala and teach those down who need His love. No longer getting a decent salary from a California school district and getting a pension. There's no pensions for missionaries. But it's that sacrifice that God made that causes people to do radical things like that. Think of refugee camps. And the slums. I think of those who give their life ministering to the poor. I think those people who give, that, give up life and go to do that have seen the sacrificial heart of God. And they've been touched by it. And so they're now willing to give that away also. The Bible reveals God's heart for us. His heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the lost. He desires to reconcile His lost children back to Himself. That love should compel us. That love that God poured out should be what compels us to serve him and to love Him and to go into the world and preach the good news to all creatures. As we understand more the heart of God and the heart of the sacrifice that He made, it should drive us to our knees and to the world to say, God, You loved me enough to do that. I want to sacrifice my life. I want to give back to You. I want to love what You love. 
drives us to the ministry of reconciliation, not because we have to, but because we've received His love. We shouldn't go onto the streets and go to the mission field, go to our neighbors, go to our family out of duty, but out of desire. God, change our hearts so that we might know Your heartbeat and understand Your love for that neighbor that drives you crazy. God actually loves them. God, change our hearts. Help us to know You so that we wouldn't serve You out of duty, but desire. I can't keep those more than 600 laws. But out of a love for God, I can give them everything. This week, I urge all of us to consider, to ponder, to meditate through prayer, through the Word of God, the heart of the Father. Sadly, most messages you hear on a Sunday morning, you'll forget the majority of it within 45 minutes to an hour. I really want to encourage and urge us this week to really ponder God's heart. To get to know it. If His heart is for something, wouldn't we as His children want to see that done? You know, on Father's Day, my kids, they, they spoiled me, they blessed me, they... You know, they got me a, they, with their own money, they bought me a, a really nice griddle. And we love to make pancakes and French toast and grilled cheese, all the guy foods. And then we went out to Red Robin for burgers. You know, they know my desires. and I like meat. You know, on Mother's Day, we eat vegetables. <laughs> But on Father's Day, and Shannon was a, such a big part of it. She, you know, she, she says, wherever you want to go for lunch. And she even said later as I was coming, throwing out some of the options, every one of them had meat in it. <laughs> every one. And she was like, but, and she didn't. She just, whatever. Because her love for me, my kids' love for me says, we want to, we want to give you your heart's desire. We want to be part of this. Can't we? Shouldn't we? Be more than that with God, who's given us everything. God, show us your heart this week. Don't stop next week, but start this week. Show us your heart. Show us the heart that you have for the lost. Help us to really understand that He's not desiring that we sequester ourselves once a week and hide in a house on Wednesday nights. But He's, he's desiring that we would grow in Him, but we would take the ministry of reconciliation to those who don't know Him yet. We need to pray a prayer like this as we close this service. God, I want to know You. I want to know Your heart. I pray that You would reveal Your heart to me through the Word of God as I read it. I pray, God, that You would reveal Your heart to me as I would spend time in prayer with You. God, let my 
knowledge, my intimate knowledge of you, compel me to live for you. God, let my intimate knowledge of you compel me to have a heart and to live reaching the lost. God, give us a similar heart that you have. That our hearts might beat with the same things that you're beat for. God, you showed us your heart through the sacrificial life that you live. God, I pray and ask that you would give us a heart of sacrifice. And that's so difficult. But compel us, Lord. Help us to know you intimately so that we'd be willing and grateful to give you anything that we had that you desired to use. Our time, our mouths, our talents, our finances. Not as a duty, God, but let it be a desire. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the lost, to the hurting. Let's bring hope, the ministry of reconciliation and redemption to those that need it. God, as we start this journey, I pray that it would not just be a few-week journey, but it would be a life-changing beginning to know you and your heart, that others might know you and the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.